Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to my very own podcast. Uh, This week's episode is Jesse Eisenberg, Oscar-nominated actor, of course known for his work in Adventureland, The Social Network, and so many more films, including two we talk about this week. Uh, He's got The Double, which is a very funny black comedy directed by Richard Iowad, and uh, Night Moves by Kelly Reichert, a very uh, compelling um, suspenseful tale co-starring Dakota Fanning and Peter Sarsgaard. Check both of those out. Um, this week's interview is is kind of a different one. Um, I'll be honest, uh, Jesse is, um, you know, to many interviewers out there, I know he's kind of got the rep as a difficult interview. Not because he's a jerk or aggressive or rude in any way. He's just not a cookie-cutter Hollywood type. He doesn't uh, speak in sound bites, which uh, makes him challenging in some ways and refreshing in many more ways. Uh, This is a conversation that afterwards I was thinking, did it go well? I'm not sure. It certainly felt different. And I've listened to it back, and I thought about it. I was like, should I edit this down a little bit? Should I cut out some of the awkward pauses, um, some of the awkward laughter, the tangents? And I decided to keep it all in because, frankly, this is the kind of conversation I would want to hear if I were you guys. I like to hear uh, conversations that, um, that meander that feel authentic and real, and uh, and Jesse, um, as I said, he's not he's not a Hollywood um, type. He's not a guy that speaks in in, the, in canned responses. So I think that's what makes this uh, very engaging and interesting. Hopefully for you guys, um, I'm very happy that he uh, he uh, scheduled some time to come into the office to chat. Um, he's certainly a unique guy. He, uh, in addition to acting, he's a prolific writer for The New Yorker, a playwright and uh, is going to be around for a long, long time um, doing a lot of great things, I know, including uh, playing Lex Luthor in the next uh, Batman-Superman film, which we touch on in this interview. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this. This is not your run-of-the-mill celebrity interview, and I think that's a good thing. Um, As always, hit me up on Twitter, guys, at Joshua Horowitz. Tell me what you think. Let me know who you want to hear on the podcast. Check out all my work on MTV.com, MTVNews.com, and, of course, uh, AfterHours.MTV.com. Wow, there was a lot of dot-com plugs. Uh, in the meanwhile, uh, enjoy this conversation. Uh, as I said, it's a special one. It's a unique one. You're not going to hear it anywhere else. Uh, here is Mr. Jesse Eisenberg. Who is that picture of right there the, on the right? This one? Yeah. Can you decipher who it is? It's, it's actually a blend of two people. Yeah, no, I suspected that, but I can't, <laughs> even, I can't even tell what one of them is. It's, um, it's Mark Ruffalo. It is? <laughs> it is. Really? You know him. I know him, but I don't recognize it. And um, that's Robert Downey Jr. I see more of Ruffalo than Downey in there. Oh my God, I don't see either one of them. You know who it looks like to me? There's a playwright, Donald Margulies. Yeah. Do you know him? I, I know him by, I know know by sight, yeah. It looks like that. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, is he okay with that? Well, I've I hope he, I'm sure he looks better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You don't have a, 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 a line to him right now? He's not listening? <laughs> It's, really, um, it's uncanny almost. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do an official introduction because you're here already. It's happening already, Jesse. Do you normally talk about yourself on the podcast? Sometimes. Okay. When people are inquisitive. It's so pretty, it's not out of line to talk about your high school. You, you can ask me anything you wish. Okay. Is there anything? I feel like you're reacting to everything around you in you a very like weird things on the wall. Are they weird? Or are they okay? Well, like you have a works for me ad of like some kind of. Oh, it's it's Mark Wahlberg's um, nutritional supplements. Why is that an odd thing to have on the wall? Well, I guess, why do you have it on the wall? 
I just it just makes me smile. I put things on the on the wall that make me happy. Oh really? And that makes me happy to see that he has he's always looking out for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and what about that? The laughing man coffee man. Oh, that's just silly. That's um that's a that's a, a piece of uh, Hugh Jackman um uh, coffee that he uh, bestowed upon me in a very sweet way. Oh, I thought it was from the. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. How have you been, uh, Jesse? Yes, I've been good. Uh, congratulations on, on on your films. I saw I saw both of them actually recently. I saw you did. I should say I saw uh, the Double Back and Sundance. Oh right. Rewatched it recently, and uh, Night Moves is oh, is yeah. a, a quality piece of work as well. Oh, thanks a lot. Um, you uh, you're stopping back home here for a little bit while you're because you're in the middle of shooting right now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in New Orleans, but I have two days of the press here. Nice. And I can go back. How's New Orleans? I remember. I, actually, I did visit you in New Orleans for I think it was Now You See Me. Oh, that's where it was. Yeah. Oh yes, and we were in a. Con- oh no, wait. Where were we? It was like mimicking Vegas. It was that. It was that big. Um, yes. Now I remember. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes. It was um, like an arena. Um, I think it was for, with the university. It was like a university arena. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. You were in full showman mode. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. 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 Do you like New Orleans? Yeah, it's a great city. Very unique place. Yeah. Do you? I do. I do. I mean, I uh, I enjoy good food, and uh-huh. that is a good food town. Yeah. I'm not like a, a I can't say I'm a jazz aficionado, but I appreciate right. it. Sure. Um, there's a lot uh, talking about sensory input in this office. Like that's like a town that's like built on like this, like feeding the senses. Yeah, I feel exactly. Like in every way. Right. Exactly. Um, but I would imagine it's different. Like I don't know when you're trying to get your work done. I don't know if it's maybe I wonder. I don't know. I've never had to work in New New Orleans. I go there. Yeah. You know, you go. The movie I'm doing days. now films outside of the city. So yeah. New Orleans, the city is almost, it's not really relevant to the movie, so I'm, I'm living there, so it's kind of interesting to be there on the weekends, but it has no yeah. place in the movie room. Gotcha. Uh, just nice tax breaks right now. In the, in yeah, that. they film so much there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, let's talk a little bit about the double, because I, I actually, I, I really, I don't know, I say I actually, I did enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I surprisingly enjoyed yeah. your work, Jesse. Despite, yeah. <laughs> Despite your presence. Yeah, exactly. Twice over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, actually, I thought it was hilarious. And uh, I confess I've never read the Dostoevsky source material, because I'm not a learned man, let's okay. be honest. Okay. Uh, no, but it's uh, Richard Iowad uh, is yeah. the director. Um, talk to me a little bit about was was he your entry point into this? Was he the guy that kind of like came to you with this material? And yeah, because they hadn't finished the script yet, so he gave me the um, the novella which it's based on, and um, and uh, his movie Submarine, and both were really good. One was made by Dostoevsky, but the other was made by Richard, and they were both really unique. And I could kind of see what he might do with the. The double because um, in the novella it takes place in this kind of strange world, um, but there is a kind of like very relatable, mm, kind of ironic kind of loneliness yeah. that's in the movie too. So even though the movie doesn't take place in in Russia at the same time as Dostoevsky's novella, it still feels like um, similarly bleak and funny. Yeah. Like the whole conceit of the movie is that this guy. Um, lives and works in this universe where no one remembers him and if they do remember him they kind of they don't really like him but no one kind of acknowledges him enough to even hate him if they don't like him so he's he's really just an irrelevant person and then this other guy comes in who looks exactly like him who dresses like him sounds like him is him but for some reason in this universe everybody loves him and it's so the kind of the the clever conceit is that you know you you know, it's your worst nightmare manifested. Right. Um, that not only uh, 
are you irrelevant, but there's somebody who is exactly you and is relevant, which makes you feel even more irrelevant. Right. <laughs> so it's this kind of really existential uh, bleakness. Is, is it, uh, were you, I, I would expect, I mean, uh, that you're probably shooting both parts sometimes on the same day. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you do it. We filmed it as though it was two actors playing the role, so you would do one character's angle and then the right. other character's angle in the same way you would do it if there were two actors. Yeah. So I- easy to kind of go back and forth? I mean, because they, they are 180s from each other, literally, in personality. It couldn't be more different. Yeah, they're different personalities, but it was easy to go back and forth because they're really opposite sides of the same psyche. So the story is like, you know, this one guy is having kind of a psychological break, and so this, you know, he's having a... So this other guy is like kind of the manifested... The physical manifestation of everything he's missing in the kind of Jungian sense of the, uh, you know, kind of shadow side of a person that it's all their kind of um, dark sides... You know, everything they suppress is now manifested. So it's like, it's, um, uh, even though it's two characters physically, they're really the opposite sides of the same person. So it was easy to go back and forth because I thought whatever one guy is really lacking, the other guy has an abundance of. So you can kind of play specifically off of each other rather than, you know, playing two characters who have no relation to each other. Total. Oh, sorry, I'm just looking at your calendar. Do you want to see what's coming up? These are all the movie releases. Oh, I see recent, yeah. 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 The Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, that's the Tom Cruise one. You know, it's a cool title, but I also feel like... I kind of actually... You know what it was originally called? What? It was called uh, All You Need Is Kill. That, I think, is a cool title. That's an interesting title, too, because I was going to say The Edge of Tomorrow, I felt like that's come out already. It does. It feels like a little... Yeah, like like the fake movie within a movie. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a funny. Way I actually saw it. It's right. really good, though. Oh, really? Tom Cruise is legit. He like he, you know, he's a he's a classic movie star. I feel like. In what way? I don't mm-hmm. know. I feel like he, um, I, I I I don't know. I've always admired his work in that. Like, if you look at his early work, he like made some really smart choices in the kinds of filmmakers he was working with. Like, oh. if you go back twenty years, he was working with like Sidney Pollack and Neil Jordan. Like, he wasn't like the kind of guy that was just like going for crappy blockbusters he's okay. actually working with quality filmmakers I see and yeah. I feel like he still like um, can hold the screen and, and you can somehow identify with him even though he's like obviously six times gorgeous than every other human being on the planet right oh I see what you're saying that's an interesting way to put it mm-hmm. right yeah he's relatable but somehow like super relatable yeah. like yeah yeah favorite Tom Cruise movie Jesse I really haven't one? seen much really no but I know who he is and everything you can go. With, you can go with the edge of tomorrow if you want. You yeah. Just assume that's your favorite. I can go with the edge of tomorrow, or tomorrow will be the edge. Or <laughs> tomorrow will be the edge. Sounds tomorrow like a U2 song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I wonder who wrote that U2 song. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Bono. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, where were we? Um. Oh, so you, you shot this in in London? Yes. Yeah, but. Again, like the New Orleans thing that we were just discussing, it has no relation to London. The movie takes yeah. place in this kind of fictitious time and place. Yeah. Um, it does feel like, I mean, I know some people, it's like an easy reference point, but like, it, it reminded me in some ways of Brazil, which mm-hmm. I know people were mentioning. Like, oh, right. did, were you guys talking about? Because it is a very stylized, unique, um, familiar yet unfamiliar world that, that Richard has created here. Yeah, the kind of funny rubric they were using to, dis- to, um, to create the technology um, was kind of what people in the 1950s thought the 1980s would look like. Right. So it's like (laughs) really inefficient and like oversized things that 
are kind of impressive if you're living in the 1950s. Right. You know, like a coffee machine that automatically makes coffee, but it's like the size of the room. Right. Um, or a copying machine that's efficient, but it is the size, uh, you know, of what today would be, uh, well, it wouldn't exist or be the size of like where they would hold servers for a computer. Right. You know, it's in these kind of this huge, uh, this huge room. So um, that's the kind of aesthetic, all the costumes seem... It seems like uh, almost ill-fitting in a in a way. Like that, yeah. I, correct me if I'm wrong. When I was watching a, a part, portion of it yesterday, it felt like your suits were like one size too big. Yeah, the idea is that like you were given kind of like, you know, like a kind of like a, the local issued suits, and right. so you know it was like one size doesn't fit There's anybody. No tailoring in the future, right? Exactly, <laughs> and also kind of it made my character look, I guess, just that much more diminutive. But yeah. um, I had just the idea like going into the starting the movie that the other character the doppelganger like his clothes and his stuff fits you wouldn't notice it as an audience member that the clothes are slightly more fitted but the character seems just more kind of comfortable in his skin because the clothes are a little more fitted so that was another opportunity for us to kind of make these kind of distinctions that people would maybe grasp unconscious it's fun like I was watching like the I think I think it's the, correct me if I'm wrong it's like the first scene between the two mm-hmm. characters is in like that diner scene oh, yeah. with Kathy Moriarty's there yeah. and it really speaks to yeah. um, what uh, as I clicked on a word thing on my laptop oh, we're sure. still recording we're still recording yes okay. um, <laughs> that that it kind of like it's a it's a demarcation point for uh, those two characters is like how they treat or uh, a waitress and how they order food right like are you the kind of guy that like if you get the wrong food that comes to you that you'll just accept it or will you Will uh, you prefer it? Yeah, <laughs> you prefer yeah. the wrong food to come yeah, to yeah. you, just to kind of <laughs> yeah alleviate some kind of guilt. Yeah, like the one character is uh, yes, yeah, Simon. He, he he orders a coke and a bagel. They says she says they're out of bagels. Right. So he, he kind of he doesn't know what to do, and he stammers, and finally just says, then he'll just have the coke. And the other guy orders eggs, bacon, toast, and a beer. Yeah. And and pounds the table. And pounds <laughs> And they don't offer anything like that at this moment because they don't have breakfast now. But he asks her to kind of make an exception and she does right. and it just you know is kind of emblematic of the way these two guys navigate the world right. um, and uh, it's very you know it's a sad funny scene it's great are you as desensitized as me to sirens? Because I know you grew up in, in the area. Oh, yeah. I feel like when you were, in, if you're in another city with people that haven't grown up with that, like yeah, say, everything stops. Yeah. Like something's horribly wrong. Right, something exactly. might be horribly wrong, but right. we're fine with it. Isn't that right. Awesome? Well, yeah, because the sirens indicate that somebody's accounting for the thing that's horribly wrong. <laughs> right. If right. it was just someone wailing and screaming, right. then we'd actually be upset. Yeah, or just silence. <laughs> Just peace, because you know before the star- storm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is going to be an interview of tangents, in case you can tell already. Are a lot um, of your interviews like this? What's that? Are a lot of your interviews like this? The best ones, I think. Oh, really? Meander. And do you edit them? Hopefully not. We'll see how how off the rails we go. Oh, really? Should so I this, edit this? I would imagine you might. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't enjoy listening to this kind of conversation. I don't like listening to my own voice, but if I was somebody else. This would, be would also be this, would, this would be upsetting. I wonder if other people feel about my voice the way I feel about my voice. Uh, judging from the way your films have performed and the reviews, I would say probably not. Oh, I know, but you know everybody. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. But maybe they like it despite the thing. Right. It's the it's the <laughs> it's the bad taste they just want a little bit more of. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Why do you have a picture of that? Harrison's a pea in a pod. Is it, I mean, come on. But what ha- is that? Did you know that Harrison Ford every year oh, for it's Harrison ha- Ford for ha- for Halloween dresses up like. Oh, in an elaborate outfit. In an elaborate outfit. I mean, it's for his kids. It's adorable. But, like, 
How incongruous is that with his, his oh, image? Yeah. How strange. And what's Season of the Witch? Season of the Witch was a Nicolas Cage movie. That's that's. Okay. I have to confess, that's kind of an ironic thing, because it's not a great movie. Oh, but, I understand. Um, do you dress up for Halloween? Oh, no. When's the last time you dressed up for Halloween? You, you probably had to as a child. Every child, you... you I didn't... I, I never liked Halloween, and then... Because I didn't like dressing up, um, and I found this thing when I was younger where you you put your arm through a little sleeve and then it looks like you have looks like you're it looks like you have a fake arm it looks like you're holding somebody else's arm that you've just torn off right so you put your arm through and then you know fold your wrist sure and then it looks like a glove is holding what is your real hand okay so it makes the kind of the it looks like you're holding somebody <laughs> and I just wore that so you can take it on and off, and I didn't want to have face paint or a costume. Right. Was that effective? Did it, did it elicit the desired effect from passers-by? No, what it did was just kind of excuse me from having a larger costume. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, okay, tangent number 17, uh, Night Moves. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that for a second? Because it was interesting to watch that in juxtaposition with the double, because um, this is a Kelly Reichert film, if you've seen any of, of Kelly's other work. It's... Uh, not a lot of dialogue. It's mm-hmm. like it's it's a very behavioral film. Like it, it relies on on just watching people do things. Mm-hmm. And is that is that something that was exciting for you to kind of mix it up and and, and not rely on? Because some of your your most famous roles are very verbal mm-hmm. performers performances. Um, to kind of like get a script that I would guess was pretty spare. Mm-hmm. Was that an exciting kind of prospect? Was that part of the algorithm that made it interesting? Yeah, I mean the character. Yeah, doesn't speak. Even though the m- kind of movie is, um, like you said, like has a limited amount of dialogue in the first place, the character has the least amount of dialogue. Yeah. Um, even within that kind of quiet context, he doesn't speak that much. But I liked it because it made sense for the character. I mean, um, you know, it was not some kind of affectation. He is like a guy who is so filled with rage and confusion and self-doubt that he doesn't know what to say. He is surrounded by... He's an environmental activist. He is surrounded by this young woman who is like kind of a rich girl paying for this operation. It's, he decides he's to, to, to bomb a dam. Um, he's opposed to, you know, kind of the hyper-development in the area. Right. Um, and then he... Um, and the other guy, he is like a, a, a vet who is just kind of an irresponsible guy but who has skills with like bomb making and he's just frustrated by both of those people so he's silent around them and um, it's an interesting character in terms of what you're saying about like dialogue Um, it doesn't really change much for me because you know as an actor in a thing you're trying to kind of experience some kind of realistic emotional uh, life and if that means talking then you would speak and if it means not talking, right. you would not speak. So it's, I thought it's just as valid and just as interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it just strikes me like, I mean, our, our scenes where, where our extended takes like something like an, an actor, any actor or you in particular values as opposed to sort of very choppy, cutty, you know, it, it's dictated by the material, obviously, yeah. and, and the style of the film. No, you're right. It's a kind of nice luxury to have longer scenes. Right. The downside of a movie like Night Moves is that they don't, we don't have that much time. Right. It's a shorter schedule which is unfortunate because it would be wonderful to have a lot of time with a character like that because it's such an interesting role to try different things. Yeah. So um, the upside is you have these really long takes of different uh, 
activities like the character like my character works on a farm by day and he's building a bomb at night yeah. so um, you have both of these kind of routines done almost in you know a lot of times in like kind of real time like planting something right harvesting something um, uh, building a bomb kind of and the monotony that comes with those activities which in turn makes it very intense because you know the character is doing this monotonous activity but what he's doing is building a bomb to blow up a dam so it's this kind of yeah. strange juxtaposition of real intensity and uh, real kind of monotony. Um, and um, those, that's a real luxury to be able to kind of do stuff in real time because you can live out the experience. Of course, working on like a 20, or, you know, low 20 day schedule is, right. is, you know, ends up just, you don't get to do many takes of it, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, are, are you, when we talk about a film like that, which is like, you know, the epitome of independent filmmaking, as you say, it's a relatively small budget. Um, it, it strikes me like, are you surprised about how "quote unquote" commercial your career also is? Like how how many big films you've been a part of and you continue mm-hmm. to be a part of, and how you've been able to balance that? Because I mean, your sensibilities err, I think, more on the side of correct me if I'm wrong. Like on more independent filmmaking. I mean, I think if I had a gun to your head, maybe you wouldn't be able to name seven Tom Cruise movies. I don't know. Oh, besides yeah. Edge of uh, Tomorrow, I can't name that many independent movies either, though. Okay, like, I don't. <laughs> really, I'm not really in the things that I would go see. I mean, I don't really see much, so I don't really know. What I would see, but um, my taste it really kind of changes based on like what I'm in at the time. Like, mm. so I, like the movie I did last month was about like David Foster Wallace, and I right. played like a journalist who goes to visit And so we were in kind of like a very literary mode for a few months, and now I'm doing this kind of action type movie, and so I'm in that mode now, and they're of equal interest to me. Yeah, I think they're probably not of equal interest to the same audience members, but as an actor, it's it's the same kind of great experience. Like, both characters are, like, you know, have, like, a real emotional inner yeah. life. They're dealing with them. So I think the movies end up looking quite different, but to me, the experience is of equal interest. Yeah. I, 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 I want to segue into something which I know you can't say much about, but it just it, it occurs to me, like, when you, you're about to get involved in arguably the biggest film of your career, this Batman, Superman film. Right. Was, was the algorithm then different for that kind of a thing, or was it simply based on your conversation with Zach and like, oh, that's actually a, a cool character, maybe a $200 million movie, but it's it's still something that I can really sink my teeth into, and it's something that, that that's fun and interesting for me. Oh, yeah, the character is luckily a really great character. Yeah, um, yeah I imagine it's like, yeah, I mean, you, you know, actors can sometimes find really cool things in characters that are not, that are not written well. This character is like really written really well. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's like an actor's job to make something, even if there is not much, I guess. And most movies feature characters that don't have much, because a lot of movie characters are like function functional, you know? Right. They come in to deliver some kind of piece of exposition, and it's really hard to do something interesting with that. But some great actors maybe are able to transcend that or something, but I guess I don't get sent many of those kind of parts. Does the fact that, I mean, there are a lot of eyeballs on you anyway, but uh, when you're attached to that kind of project, you know your fame is going to diminish in the next year or two thanks to something like that. Is that something that you kind of like have to factor into the decision? Like, okay, if I sign on to this cool part, fun part, but also I'm going to be part of like this machine for a mm-hmm. year or two mm-hmm. and... I'm gonna ex- have to expose myself even more than I already do. Wait, your fame is gonna diminish, or your I'm or saying, your I'm saying, I'm saying, with like a franchise like that, to be to to agree to be a part in that, that yeah. means you also have to be part of the publicity machine and the part of this whole thing. Yeah, which yeah. I imagine is not your favorite part of the gig. Oh yeah, you have to do it anyway. I mean, for a movie like um, the Double or Night Moves, you know, 
arguably me doing interviews for it is much more important than doing an interview for Batman. Yeah. Because there's not that much money for posters, whereas Batman... Fair enough, If yeah. I, you know, was in a coma after it was filmed, <laughs> you know, the movie would still, still probably... Still $150 million, probably, yeah. Yeah, whereas something like The Double kind of requires me to go, you know, do interviews. So I don't really see that as that different. I mean, the only difference is, like, you kind of are just exposed to more people, and so, yeah. you know, walking down the street maybe is more annoying, but yeah. I already don't like walking down the street because uh, it's so hot outside, so that's not that big of a difference for me, but I mean, you know, like, as an actor, you want to kind of, like, kind of keep working. You know, I do other things, like I write right. plays and stuff, and, uh, you know, that I could do any time on my own, but if you're an actor, you kind of have to be hired by other people, and it's important to be in those big things, I mean, you know, I happen to want to do this movie because the character's awesome, but it's also important to be in those yeah. for some kind of, like, longevity. Sure, no, totally. Um, uh, I, speaking of walking down the street, I apologize for making it come to Times Square, which is the epitome. It's oh, probably, yeah. It's, it's the, it's, I love New York. I grew up uh, in yeah. New York, but this is not the ideal place to be as a New Yorker. Yeah. I went to high school, like, two blocks from here on Did 48th you? Street. Yeah. And you, where, wait, where is Dalton? Dalton, Upper East Side, 89th, and uh, Lex. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's where it is? Yeah. Oh. No, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I know this area. Well, I mean, obviously, I know this area, too. But um, uh, I always had, like, I always liked it here. I don't know why, because I associate going to high school here. Yeah. Let's let's talk about our, our, our New York, New Jersey roots. I know um, okay. uh, you you uh, grew up in, in Jersey, though, right? Yes. Yeah. I was born in Queens. We okay. moved to New Jersey when I was, like, four or five, and I don't remember because I was too young. And then I lived in New Jersey, and then when I was 17, I transferred to school here in Midtown. Gotcha. So I would come here every day from there. And um, was, it was, that was, that was the dream? Was New York, like, it was, it's close enough that you know that's where the action is, that's, that's yeah, what it seems absolutely. cool? Yeah, I mean, the only way I could get to go to New York when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 was to get into a play yeah. before I went to high school here. That was, like, the way to get to, get out of my town in New Jersey. I mean, it's a fine town, I guess, but I didn't like it. You know, I didn't like, I just, you know, you know, I guess like a lot of people who try to leave, you know, you right. feel like you don't fit in for whatever set of reasons that have very little to do with the town itself and more to do with whatever you're dealing with. And so I loved going here and um, I had to get into a play. So, and at the, when I was younger, most of that was like musical theater. So I try to get into like musicals and stuff. I'm not. You still sing? I could sing, but I'm not like good enough to be in the lamas or, or whatever the other, you right. know, uh, when you're young, like that. Right. So I was not in those, but I would get in, like, kind of, like, the secondary shows if, gotcha. you know, right, like, sing-talking. <laughs> I was like the, um, was that Elaine Stritch of <laughs> Teenage Boys? Well, yeah. it's got to be somebody. It's funny to, yeah, go through Oliver, <laughs> like it's like a kind of cabaret act where you're kind of half-talking. And why does he have a glass of whiskey? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, he has no gruel, but for some reason, <laughs> a double espresso and a shot of gin. <laughs> what, were there were there some formative uh, uh, plays or films that really like knocked you back for a loop as a child? That like that you think back to? But say yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I saw Titanic on Broadway like eight times. Oh, I saw that production. You did that musical, right? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I saw the Civil War, which lasted like very okay. short. I saw it like five times. You know, I saw these shows because they allowed for like student tickets. Yeah. And so I would like come in every Saturday in the morning and wait online and then I would get student tickets. So I saw these shows that were like, at the time, I guess not, I guess Titanic was thought of as good, maybe as kind of a little touristy or silly right. or something, or like, uh, maybe it was a little gaudy or something. But I liked it a lot, but I mainly liked it because I got to go 
so much. And the Civil War was regarded as like a terrible musical. I guess it lasted very few. It was yeah, a Frank Wildhorn show. Okay. And it was it lasted very. But I loved it. I thought it was great. And I mainly just saw it because I couldn't get the tickets. Right. And so I ended up. I, you know, I was seeing it a lot, but I guess it was regarded poorly. So I didn't see, like, the good things growing up. And then Beauty and the Beast didn't sell the first two rows. So if you went in at intermission, you could sit in the first two rows for free. You just walked in with, like, the people smoking at intermission. Right. And so I saw the second act of that several times. <laughs> Do you need me to fill you in on what happened in the beginning, or have you caught up now? I was able to kind of extrapolate from what was happening <laughs> at the end. I assume all the things that got resolved at the second act started out as conflicts in the first making an assumption that... I know, right? <laughs> Could have started out happy and happy. Exactly. Um, and film-wise, uh, how intrinsic is... I mean, it's like kind of the, the no-brainer for most New Yorkers, which I, I would consider you... Uh, uh, is Woody Allen into the fabric of your being? Was he was he an important part? Yeah, I mean, I, I never saw anything he's done before I turned, like, 17. Oh, I wow. don't know. I, my parents, I guess, didn't watch his stuff. Yeah. And we, I was, guess, raised in the suburbs in Jersey. You didn't, he wasn't really part of it, I guess. Got it. doesn't really maybe represent, like, suburban New right. Jersey. You know, maybe. So I didn't, I knew his name probably from, like, the tabloid stuff right. that he was in. And then when I was, like, 17, I saw something. You started binging on all of it. Yeah, yeah, I saw it, and I really, you know, I really liked it. And, you know, I it didn't, I didn't think, like, oh, that's what I want to do, or, like, that's mm -hmm. the kind of comedy I like, you know, want to do as an actor, because, um, but I thought it was phenomenal. But I didn't see, like, myself in it, really, like some people, I think, see themselves in that. Right. I didn't really see that, but I really loved it. Is it true I read somewhere uh, that Crimes and Misdemeanors is... Oh, yeah, I loved that one. That's amazing. Yeah, I really loved that one, because he was able to make something that was, like, really, you know, and you know it's a really weird story it's yeah. a very strange story but very dramatic and very funny yeah it's, but it's the epitome of him blending those two yeah. sides of himself yeah and he's like really effectively makes this story about like uh, like this like murder too like and it seems like to kind of just reconcile that with the comedy yeah a part of that movie so well I mean my analysis is so trite but it's really good I really loved it um, yeah. uh, do you have a favorite full on on, on the comedy side of his comedies? of his movies yeah um, yeah uh, what is yours uh, Love and Death I think oh one. you like that yeah I like that one too um um jeez I don't know I'm sure um I can't think of right now but yeah I Loved his stand-up comedy when I was going to high school oh, cool. here. Yeah. I, like, memorized some, and I went to a school here, and then, like, the school was, like, um, a performing arts school, right. and so kind of I would do the stand-up comedy for the other kids in the school, and everybody kind of at the end of the year had memorized, like, the moose thing, because I was doing it all the time, <laughs> and everybody really liked it. Did you ever do your own stand-up? Did you have like, original no, stand-up? No, no, no. No? No interest? No, I can't do, I'm sure, like, kind of performance comedy. You know, when you do stand-up comedy, like, you are, um, you know, being judged on this, like, binary system if it's, like, funny or not funny. Right. And I would feel so nervous doing that. Whereas, like, if I do a comedy movie, like, the double, like, I'm really not required to be funny in that way. Yeah. You know, you come from a place of real emotion. Right. And if it happens to be funny based on the context and setting, then you kind of then that's good, but not necessary. Right. And then, like, I write, like, uh, for The New Yorker, Shouts and Murmurs, and that has to be funny, but it's not performance-driven. It's text. 
Yeah. How how satisfying is it seeing your name in the New Yorker, a byline in the New Yorker? It's got to feel pretty special. Yeah, I wanted to. I again, I discovered it very very late, like maybe two years ago. I did not read the New Yorker growing up, and I didn't know the comedy section existed. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I discovered it, I thought, oh, I, I thought I'd really like to write this. And then I discovered McSweeney's. Um, and I got rejected from both for like a year and then finally I got something in McSweeney's and once I got it in McSweeney's I kind of developed the confidence to write more like that because I did writing and I'd already had plays on in New York and stuff so I, I had been writing a lot but that kind of format is so specific yeah. and is a real kind of specific skill set to kind of write short form comedy pieces so then once I then I kind of took to it pretty quickly and so within a year I had like you know I was submitting to the New Yorker for a while but within a year of like submitting I had gotten accepted and then after you get accepted there it's more it's easier to get accepted yeah. you know, it's kind of a you have to break through I guess initially is, is there uh, because you know you, you've done the short form pieces for New Yorker you've obviously uh, done playwriting um, is there like do you kind of juggle it all at once or do you kind of like okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in a mode right now where I want, where I want to explore something with a longer form I want to do this or um, I think it, a lot of times like dovetails with what I'm working on like this movie I just did in about the David Foster Wallace. Like, yeah. I was playing a writer, and I ended up, like, on the weekends, like, writing all week. Like, I have a book coming out next year, and I had to, like, kind of write. I was trying to finish up pieces for it, and on the weekends, I think probably because I was spending every day, like, thinking about writing and talking yeah. about writing, it just ends up infecting you. And now I'm doing this movie where my character is kind of a... Um, he's, like, a stoner, unmotivated, who uh, then becomes embroiled in this kind of, like... CIA plot because they're trying to kill him and it's a great movie but my character and it's a great role the character is a really interesting guy he has been brainwashed by the CIA and he's starting to come to terms with the fact that his whole life has kind of been fabricated by this secret organization so it's a really interesting character but the character has no motivation so for me like on the weekends I kind of just feel lazy and I think it's not because I'm intentionally trying to be like immersive in my characters even though I do immerse myself um, I think what ends up happening is you spend like 14 hours a day in the spirit of a role and it naturally infects whatever you're experiencing sure. so I've done movies where like my characters are not very nice people and I've alienated friends and family you know and then you realize only in retrospect oh no I, I see what I was doing now so now I'm trying to kind of realize that while it's happening so right, that I don't always be self-aware so you can maybe so I don't when, you, when it turns off you can actually turn into the productive person you want to be yeah or just like no oh, I'm probably going to not be nice to somebody for a few weeks because I'm playing this character that's awful to his right. mother and so I'm not going to be nice to my mother but that's because of the role but it's the that's fun part boss. of that's, that's you know she's a very forgiving woman but <laughs> you know it's like the kind of it's the wonderful part of immersing yourself yeah. in the thing you like to do um, occasionally there are like you know I guess downsides like if you're not nice to your mother or something like that is not a good thing to do but Mostly it's upsides, like immersing yourself in a project is really fun. Um, you know, as an actor, you're immersing yourself more than a lot of other people working on it because you're immersing your emotions into it. So if you're directing something, you're really immersed in the kind of day-to-day decision-making. But And you're probably immersed in the emotions as well, but probably not as much as the actor who's in kind of every take 
giving their real emotional experience. Uh, maybe directors do too. I don't know. I, yeah. I can't speak to the other experiences on set except that when you're acting in something, at least what I do is like you give your whole emotional life over to it and it naturally infects the other areas. The, this way is when that's American Ultra. That's yeah, it's called American Ultra. So you and Kristen again. Give yeah. my regards to Kristen. I love okay. her. She's awesome. Yeah. Uh, is it fun to kind of uh, work with her again after Adventureland I love too. That's oh, a yeah. piece of work. She's great. She's really great. She's a really great actress. Yeah, I, she's just wonderful. She um, she uh, is a good example of somebody who really immerses themselves. She, when we were doing Adventureland, she was seventeen years old, wow. and she would literally stop takes in the middle of a take if she felt like she wasn't being honest. She would say, "Cut, cut, cut! I'm lying." Oh, totally. She has no BS. Like, yes, exactly. Like, filter like she can't exactly. stand it right how'd you know that well I've just I've talked to her a ton over the years and thanks to you could tell Twilight and everything yeah she's right. very real which is yeah it's I really wonderful yeah. you know the kind of you know it, it may look sometimes as though like she is you know because she's in like those movies for example which I don't know and this movie which is kind of bigger um, than Adventureland like you know she it's an interesting acting style for these kind of movies because a lot of, these kind of movies occasionally require it's not something I really can do well but it occasionally requires like being big you know right. so to speak and she does that I guess but she's so realistic so like in this movie we're doing now every scene is kind of very dramatic because yeah. she plays my girlfriend and we're both realizing my life was a lie and she's been kind of harboring this secret life from me and um, uh, so like all the scenes are kind of histrionic and you can't really half do it Right. you know I imagine in like a movie like these big action movies I don't know actors who always do those movies maybe they can like half do it at some point and it looks real but if you're only in these kind of things occasionally you end up doing the same kind of acting you do in an independent movie but because they're these big histrionic scenes you end up like fully immersing yourself in these very histrionic moments and it kind of can like yeah. make you a little nutty <laughs> but she's really great to work with because she does that too um, going back again, a lot of tangents in this. I apologize, but like the the first time I, I saw you, and I think many people saw you, was was in Roger Dodger way back when. Oh, yeah. which is, uh, How old are you? I'm 38. Oh, you are? Yes. Why well, you look really young compared to that age? Well, I mean, maybe people look young at 38 <laughs> anyway. But yeah, you look at so uh, you. Oh, you've been doing this a long time then. Been doing it a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but it occurs to me like I don't know if you've thought about this, but like. I wonder, like, where Roger Dodger would end up today. Like, if it would get a theatrical release at all. Oh, yeah. If, like... I guess it's, like, the double... I think it's, in some ways, like, more marketable than... Than, like, than, than, than Nightmare movies. Yeah yeah, 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 I mean, they marketed that movie like it was kind of a mainstream comedy. It, the, I remember that because when a trailer came out, it was the first time I was in a trailer, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to, like, be in a movie trailer, and that other actor, like, rolled his eyes at the trailer. This is Campbell Scott. Yeah. He said, what's wrong with it? He was like... Because the end of the trailer was like, it's a comedy about a know-it-all who's got a lot to learn. <laughs> and he was like, it's so absurd. Like, and now as an, you know, as like an older person who's been in other things, I realize that yeah. it's kind of like a silly way to phrase something because it sounds like it could be any movie. Yeah. And he was right. Um, but the fact that they were able to even put that kind of silly-ish spin on it, yeah. I guess, or kind of commercial spin on it makes it marketable. Did, did coming out of that what were the options at your feet were there options or was it was it an exciting time or was it kind of like this is all there is after I've been in actually a well regarded no, it film oh it's the luckiest thing to be in it really was like in retrospect I realized it is the luckiest thing to be in because the thing about being in a movie like that is um, the movie was made for like a million dollars and it probably made a million dollars you know so it's a small movie on a small economic scale but people who make like big movies at the that, at least like at that time 
for me, um, like watched that movie and liked that movie, yeah. and they wanted to put me in their kind of bigger movies because, um, you know, I guess provided some kind of cultural capital cachet for them, you know, to have yeah. somebody who's kind of in a more interesting movie. Right. Now, I'm the same actor that probably a year earlier auditioned for their dumb movie and didn't get called back to read again for them, right. you know, um, but now I'm being asked to be in it and maybe getting paid like a real salary to yeah. because I was in this movie that was more suited to me in a way, you know, being in like kind of a smaller movie. Well, well I mean, I'm curious because like, again, like... I'm sure the first stuff you were auditioning for, whether it was commercials or TV shows or whatever, mm -hmm. it was probably not, even at a young age, the kind of stuff that like you were dreaming to be in. You yeah. wanted to get into stuff like Roger Dodger eventually. Yeah. But so, I mean, I can only imagine you have to suck it up a lot and kind of like, like is it tough to get through auditions for stuff where you know like, I'm, audi I'm dying to get into this Kellogg's commercial where mm -hmm. I know it's going to be soul-sucking, but I need it yeah. anyway to push me forward, do you know what I mean? I'm not judgmental in that way of things like that. I really am not because... You know, as an actor, you're really kind of limited to the role you're playing. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean limited in a negative sense. You're, you know, I could say you're maybe like hyper-focused on the role you're playing. So if it's in a Kellogg's ad and it's kind of, you could do something interesting with the role, yeah. that's cool if you support the Kellogg's brand. <laughs> right. You know, if you don't support, but so for me, I didn't really care about that. I just liked, you know, kind of performance. When I write plays or like humor stuff, you know, I'm much more picky, you know, with like how my plays are put on. I feel very controlling over it, every, every aspect of it, marketing and everything. Um, but as an actor, I don't, I don't. You know, it's, you're in a machine that other people have much more control over than you. And so to kind of feel frustrated by the quality of a final product as an actor um, will be probably a lifetime of despair. Right. Um, but it's tough to let go of that still. That's an, to intellectualize that is one thing, but to, to actually like... I really don't. I don't watch the movies I've done. I don't watch most movies, so I don't know. I really I don't concern myself with the final product. I don't care. The experience is very important to me, so if I have an interesting character or you're working with somebody you like, um, another actor is nice, then, or inspiring to you, that's really wonderful, but the fact you know, that the movie might not be as good. It's just so far from my yeah. controller radar. What's been the closest to a, a ideal or at least just like a great film experience in terms of the production of a film? When you look back and say, like, if they could all be something close to that, I would take it. I like the double because um, uh, I got to play two different roles in it. And when any other movie, like, I really love doing Adventureland. Um, and I really like that director, Greg Matola. Yeah. He's one of my favorite and a um, great friend as well but I love playing that role um, that he wrote but um, I, part of me felt like oh no I'm playing this character every day and the character has a lot of like self-doubt and and so that was like maybe kind of my own feeling of like you know is a really wonderful character and a very well written well-rounded character um, but in the double, I got to play kind of both extremes, so yeah. I didn't feel like I'm oh, only playing this particular role. You know, it felt like I was playing both characters. Um, and the social network, the character is really also wonderful, but he, there's he has a kind of a lack of social grace and sensitivity. Right. So with the double, it was a wonderful experience because I got to do all of those things in the same movie. So if you're ever feeling like oh, I'm not being able to express this other part of just wait a couple hours yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's like when you go see a um uh a coney island show or whatever right. you know, if you don't like the thing they're 
Right. Is the is the is the precision then of like being in like a David Fincher film also rewarding in that like you know like and you have the Aaron Sorkin dialogue. You're like mm. you're you're it's not an improvisational mm-hmm. space. Right. But there's gotta be something special in that because you I mean, you're in the hands of Fincher, you're in the hands of Sorkin. So like if I stay within my lane and I just sort of like hit everything precisely, yeah, we've got something special. Right, because it it matches the kind of rigidity of the role. So yeah. that's good. I can imagine it might be maybe a little more difficult to play a very kind of loose, fun-loving character in a movie that you have to do 100 takes for, because right. it's probably hard to maintain that spontaneity. Like, the movie I'm doing now, the character is like kind of a lazy, stoned guy, and also kind of enjoys life in a way that's like, you know, in the way a stoned guy enjoys life, yeah. you know, where kind of little things are fun and entertaining for a few minutes, and then... It changes like that would be really hard to do if you're doing a hundred takes yeah. of a scene. Um, but if the character is kind of this rigid, you know, in a lot of ways, angry person, then it's you know more appropriate to do that. Totally. Uh, are you gonna live and die the rest of your life here in New York? You think? Are you, are you any um, plans to get it, go anywhere else? Have you you've never lived in LA, I assume. I never lived in California, but um, I grew up in the suburbs, so I'm not like I didn't have your upbringing. Right. Do you feel like you will? I always say I mean, I've never lived anywhere else outside of college in upstate New York. And I where'd you go to college? I went to a school called Hobart. Oh, right, upstate, Hobart. Like five or six hours upstate. Oh, right. um, I'd be perfectly content to stay the rest of my life in New York. Yeah. But I'm also realistic. I know if opportunities come in LA, I'm not gonna. You know, oh, really? It's an algorithm. You know. Yeah. So. Um, maybe for you as like entertainment journalism, but I think they really don't film much there anymore. Right. So I can't imagine that you know, an actor like me now, like a younger actor, would end up going there for some reason. Uh, right. necess- you don't need to, yeah. I don't think so. Like and Especially, I mean, given your interest and in, in aptitude in, in, in writing and playwriting, etc., like this yeah. scene here is obviously a lot more fruitful and, and a lot more uh, yeah, exactly. opportunities. And also, um, so I'm in New Orleans now, and they're filming so much more in Louisiana than they are in California. I mean, probably not on a per capita basis, but like, you know, m- m- like relative to what it used to be, of I course. suspect that a lot of the crew members that are working on the movie I'm doing now, they have been in LA for 15 years and just moved permanently oh. to New Orleans because there's so much more work. Nice. Uh, in our remaining moments, uh, that strange uh, weird little fedora in front of you, it's in front of you. Oh, the hat, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got some random questions in there. Oh, yeah. Do you want to pick a couple out, see, uh, see if they're interesting? If they're not, we'll see the next one. Okay. If it's horrible, we can move to the next one. The next technological breakthrough I want to see is... Oh, I don't know, but you know, I have a cousin. I was just asking about this. Um, he worked for, like, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, and Apple. He worked for all these oh, wow. big companies. and um, He's got some insight into what we're going to see? Yes, I asked him. He said, you know, they said... I mean, this is probably not something people don't know about, but, I mean... Um, no, he was just saying, like, really the new trend is these websites that just link individuals to individuals. So, you know, you, I want, like, pasta cooked, and this is my house, uh-huh. and I live here, and somebody will cook you pasta and bring it to your house. Like, on a plate, this actually exists. Wow. Yeah, I feel like a, like a old person talking about, <laughs> like, know, the, you and I this both. actually <laughs> exists. <laughs> you believe somebody does this. 
Can you believe it? You type in pasta <laughs> on the board. And, and it shows up yeah. 24 hours later, sometimes I sooner. <laughs> I prefer to like be the kind of surprised Luddite than the kind of overly technologically right. savvy. Well, it's also that's a responsibility. That's a full-time job to be on oh, top that? of all that stuff. What, cooking? <laughs> yes, that too. No, but uh, technology. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it obviously moves so fast. Like it's. Oh, I know, but there's just something like kind of irritating about those people, I guess. I don't want to become that. You yeah. know, somebody who's like on the new thing all the time. No. Um, also, I guess I'll wait to figure out if these things are really fleeting before you sign on. You right. know what I mean? You don't want to be the first adopter and then exactly. have the Palm Pilot that goes and comes <laughs> and goes. <laughs> wait, what was that? that it, was a, it was like an early... Blackberry. It was a different incarnation of like. Oh, a, that's right. Palm Pilot. Did yeah. that have the um, pen? The stylus. Is what, a stylus. Was called Jesse. If that's you funny. Know. The stylus. <laughs> Describe your childhood room. Oh, yeah. What was hanging uh, in Jesse Eisenberg? Were there posters? Was there? Well, I'll tell you. I, I, I moved out of my parents' house when I was eighteen, and they turned it into an office the day later. Uh, a day. <laughs> they uh, probably. The, um, but there's still like. Phoenix Suns memorabilia hanging all over the room because I was a Phoenix Suns fan. Why Phoenix? That seems a little random. Well, Charles Barkley? That kind yes, of thing? exactly. Okay. And that time when I really liked basketball, they were a really fun team. Yeah. And it was, I think my friend liked the Chicago Bulls, so this was a way for me to have my own identity. <laughs> yeah. Now it does less for my identity. Oh, still a basketball fan? Baseball? Yeah. Anything? Yeah, basketball. basketball. Yeah. And you? Uh, I'm, uh, I, I mean, I grew up with the Knicks, but right. it's been a rough... 20 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a big Yankees fan, though. Yankees are my, my number one team. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, are they good now? They're okay. Wait, is CC Sabathia on the team? He is. He's, I think he's something on just the happened DL. To? Yeah, I think he's going on the disabled list. Yeah, why? My fantasy baseball team's not doing well. This is a rough oh, day you're catching me on. Oh, I didn't realize. I see. Yeah, it's, if, if I'm on edge, if I'm in a bad mood. Who do you have? Nobody good. I don't oh, really? Know. Got it, got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's end on, on, on one, one more? more, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Let's see what we got. Let's see. No pressure. This is my favorite childhood toy. Oh, you know what? What do you got? There was this thing I saw in a catalog that was like... It was like an airplane. Um, uh, it was like a little plastic toy, but it had handles as though it was an airplane, and then there was like a little box where you could see that you're flying through a town. It's hard to describe, but <laughs> the reason it's hard to describe is because it's a complicated toy, but when I saw it in the catalog, the way they filmed, the way they took the picture for the, of the boy, it looked like he was in an airplane. And then when I got the thing in the mail, I realized it was so uh, <laughs> different than what the picture indicated it was pro it was going to be, and it was so fresh. But I liked it anyway, but I, it was, I remember a turning point in my life of thinking, oh, people manipulate other people, <laughs> you know. It says something about you that you're that when when you're asked your favorite childhood toy, you think of the thing that was endlessly frustrating, lying <laughs> right. to you, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about it recently, but you know, I guess it's like that time in your life where you realize that oh, the world oh, is no. really bad. The sea monkeys aren't actually exactly sea, actually sea monkeys. Exactly, I got those. Right, um, Jesse. It's good to see you. Thank you for you coming to the part yeah, of Thanks a lot. Weird Times Square and my weird office. Look up Donald Margulies.